So today we're going to be uh, looking at another parable of Jesus uh, in Luke. So we're going to look at a, a parable that's sometimes overlooked because it's very short, but it packs quite a bit of meaning. So this is going to be in Luke 5, 27. We're going to go to 39. This story happens right after Jesus uh, healed a paralytic. And Jesus, at this point in his ministry, was going around doing lots and lots of miracles. And he was wowing people by, by kicking demons out of people, by healing the sick, and blessing all those that came to him. Um, in, the, in the paralyzed man, Jesus not only healed him so he could walk again, but also forgave him of his sins as well. So an amazing full-spectrum healing from Jesus from it, for this guy. So next, in verse 27, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so, so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But years go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise they will have torn the old, the old one. Sorry. To patch the old one. Otherwise they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No. New wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking the old, wants the new. For they say, the old is better. So this is an interesting interaction. You hear he, he gives kind of like almost three mini-parables. The, the parable about the, the cloth, the parable about the wineskins, also talks about the bridegroom with his bride at the banquet table, right? I love this passage because it contains Jesus' mission statement, which is other places in the Bible as well. And you, if, you, if you catch it, it's to seek and save the lost, to heal the sick. That's why Jesus came, to seek and save the lost, to heal the sick. Um, so G Jesus' mission statement, you know, first... Jesus is reclining at the dinner table of this man, ta this tax collector, Levi's home. And if, it actually becomes very humorous as you read through these, these stories. The Pharisees and teachers of the law are following Jesus around, trying to catch him in a trap, trying very unsuccessfully to, to, to um, throw him off or to pull his disciples away from him or discredit him. So <laughs> they pop up not inside Levi's home, but in the doorway. You know, in, uh, in the hot climate there, the doors would have been open and uh, people would have been welcome to come in. And uh, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, start complaining to Jesus' disciples. Why does your teacher eat and drink 
with tax collectors and sinners. Why? You know, these people wouldn't even go into the home, a home of someone like that. And Jesus is favoring these people. And Jesus gives a medical analogy. He says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is Jesus' mission statement. To seek and save the lost, to heal the sick, to call sinners to repentance. Aren't you glad that's his mission statement? That is such an awesome, awesome good news, right? You know, contrary to popular belief in Jesus' day, the Messiah, Jesus, wasn't coming to find those that already had everything figured out, who already considered themselves to be righteous and found and one of God's people. But he came for those people who knew they were unrighteous, who were sick and lost. We're going to come back to that. But when you think of Jesus' mission statement, like what he... But his whole life was, was, uh, was centered around. He came to seek and save what was lost. He came as a physician to heal the sick. It's an awesome mission statement. And he brought that mission statement all the way to the cross, where he died in our place, paid for our sins, and promises to cleanse and fill each person that comes to Jesus in humility. So it's good news. If, you are, if you're lost this morning in any way, if you're stuck in sin, if you're in a bad place in your life, um, if you can see the truth of your spiritual poverty um, inside, if you can see that apart from Jesus, you can't really get very far at all, there's a great chance that you will meet with Jesus today because he's still the great physician. He still comes for the sick. He still is here to seek and save the lost. And uh, I think that's great news. I almost wish we'd started worship with that. What an awesome thing to stand in the presence of a God who doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities, but who loves us with a love that's higher than the heavens are from the earth, who removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. What an awesome God. He came to seek and save the lost. If you feel lost today, hey, he came for you. We can meet with Jesus in our day as well. That's Jesus' mission statement. Seek and save the lost. I love it. Uh, and this passage also has the parables of the untrunk cloth and the wine and the wineskins. And this, this, uh, this parable uh, makes a lot of sense to me um, because Jackie has been fermenting kefir and kombucha. We're like really crunchy, I guess. <laughs> so she's been, she's been like rotating these. I don't know if you know what this stuff is. I, I barely know what it is. But it's a science experiment in my kitchen. There's these glass bottles with these, these pop tops on them. And um, it sits on the counter and ferments, and then, it, then you pop out the gas and then you know, just keep on working on that until it becomes full of probiotics and other good stuff. So there was a time a couple weeks ago when I think we had le left them a little bit too long on the counter, and from the living room I heard these loud popping noises. I thought someone had been shot, you know? But it was just that they were a little more gassy than they should have been. So nothing broke. A lot of people say that about other people, I guess, but <laughs> it seems a little more gassy than it should be. Um, I digress. But the fermentation causes gases to come from the new kombucha, the new kefir greens, as they sit in the counter and ferment. And they must be opened every day, you know, at least once, to let that extra air out, because it becomes like a powerful explosion if you don't. And I had a friend that used to brew his own beer, and he, he did it like in his bathroom, 
really sanitary. But like, he had all that stuff fermenting like, in his bathtub. He was a single guy. <laughs> That's some weird friends. Um, and one time, like one of the glass bottles exploded and, they, and he woke up in the middle of the night and it caused a chain reaction. All these other bottles exploded and his bathroom was full of beer and shards of glass. Which is a little bit sad. Yeah. So yeah, unlike our situation, the power from the bottles, Jackie kept it under control. But my friend just couldn't, couldn't crack it. You know, there's a real, the point is there's a real big power behind the fermentation process and the gases that build up. And um, that's compared to the new work of Jesus in someone's life. Which is really interesting. There's a power in it. There's so much potential in it to transform. That's why I, I do love when they use the, the, the word dunamis, the Greek word for power, talking about the power of God. It means, it's where we get the word dynamite from. There's a lot of power in the work of Jesus in our lives, in the wine of Jesus. Gotta respect the power. Jesus is saying in these parables, you cannot put new wine or unfermented wine into old wineskins because the older, more brittle wineskins, which have already been stretched in previous batches, will explode with the gases the new wine releases during fermentation. The result will be all that good wine is lost on your floor and the wineskin is burst and completely useless. No longer good for anything. So you lose the new wine, you lose the wineskin. Um, you don't do it. And with this, Jesus is saying something like, you cannot mix the old and the new and expect an awesome result when it comes to Jesus. You can't mix the old and the new and expect it to work out. Jesus gives a second parable that shares the same conclusion, pretty much. If you take an old garment that's been washed and dried, and it has a hole in it, and then you patch the new hole with a new piece of fabric, which has not been shrunk, it will when it dries, that patch will rip off that hole and make the hole worse than the original hole was. So then, once again, in this parable, everything gets destroyed, both the old garment and the patch, and both become useless. So Jesus is saying, when it comes to me, do not mix old and new. And to kind of bring some clarity to, to, these, to these parables, you know, we can, we can read some really interesting uh, meaning from looking at the story surrounding these parables. So we're going we're gonna to take a look at Levi. Um, the point, but the point of these parables is clear. You know, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is looking for people who are humbled, who know that they need him. And Jesus' desire is to pour new wine, or the new work of the Spirit, into people who will stretch and grow with it as the powerful work of God ferments and grows inside of them. So Jesus is, not, Jesus is looking for people who are not so rigid they cannot grow in him. He's looking for people that will, that will turn every part of their life over to him and surrender their lives to him, who will forsake what they think they know from their previous life and follow him. So the message is good for both you know, sinners, like Jesus was eating his meal with, and for the Pharisees, the more religious people. You know, there's, there's an equal need for people to, if you will, leave their life behind before Jesus and allow Jesus to do a new work in them. 
We need the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have to set aside all they think they know about God, which is they kind of seem to think they know everything about God, and they think and, and what it means to follow Him, and they need to allow Jesus to teach them new things and grow inside of them. The tax collectors and sinners need to leave all they thought they knew about life and how to live it, turn away from their their previous life of sin, and receive the new teachings and life that Jesus is pouring out. So those are the two groups, and they both equally need the new wine. They both equally need to leave behind everything to follow Jesus. The most successful disciples in the Bible are those that got up, left everything, and followed Jesus, you know? It was definitely a difficult situation for the, for the religious um, people, the, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. It was difficult for them to receive anything from Jesus because they were, they were doing very well. You know, the Bible says it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It says, it says uh, a phrase like that. And the Pharisees were, were very well off in, in their society. They had a high status. They were revered as being Israel's true teachers with all the right theology. So in order to receive new wine from Jesus, these Pharisees would have to empty themselves of their pride of place in society and humbly submit to Jesus' teaching and ways, which would require them to lose a lot, actually, a lot of the things they were enjoying in their life, uh, the respect of people, um, going down in status rather than going up, losing their perhaps religious community and friends and respective people, it would take a lot for those Pharisees to empty themselves and follow Jesus. It was much, much easier for the poor, you know, for tax collectors and sinners who are already kind of outcasts in society to receive from Jesus. They were already looked down on by the masses, especially the religious elite. Furthermore, they got shunned from participation in worship, you know, these, these poor tax collectors and sinners uh, crowd, they were hungry. You know, they, they were just rejoicing that Jesus, this renowned rabbi, took an interest in their well-being and gave himself even to the point of having meals with them and having this party with them. That's a very intimate thing for someone to do, to come to your house. So Jesus was then and he is now new wine for a new day and a new way of life. To all those who humble themselves and surrender to Jesus, their old, their old ways, whether that be sin or inflexible religion, riches, status, you know, Jesus offers new wine to those people. And it's, it's, it's uh, the valley that's created when someone humbles themselves is where the wine of Jesus flows into, right? It fills the valleys of our lives. It's, uh, Jesus is attracted, God is attracted to humility in people. And um, he gives grace to the humble, to people who are humble. Jesus wants to, to, to fill us, to stretch us with new wine and grow with him as he teaches us a new way of life and walks with him. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. It's about a new way of life, a new way of thinking. So Jesus came to pour out new wine into wineskins, new wineskins. In the beginning of our passage, we, we encounter Levi, who's later called Matthew. Imagine what that must have been like for Levi. I'm looking at all these Levi's in the room here. We have lots of Levi's in our church. 
The other one's in class, okay. But imagine what it must have been like for Levi. As you sit in your tax collecting booth, you know, in those days people lined up in front of an actual booth to pay their taxes multiple times a year. It wasn't like you sent in your W-2 or did it with Quicken or something. You had to stand in line to pay your taxes manually to a tax collector. So you're sitting at your tax booth. There's a big line of people waiting to pay their taxes. And in the distance, there's a crowd. And you realize that it is Jesus who has become notorious for healing people, for associating with people of low estate, and even casting unclean spirits from people. You, you know that Jesus is coming towards you. And uh, as you sit in that booth, as the crowd grows, grows closer, all of a sudden, there's Jesus standing right in front of you, looking at you, you know, connecting with you, looking into your eyes. It says in verse 27, After this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. He saw him, and he said to him, these very simple instructions, Follow me. Now, Levi is a, a Jewish man, it's a Jewish name, you know, who worked for the Roman government, which were the people that had his people in captivity and were extracting all these taxes. And his job was to receive people's tax money. And for this reason, he would have been considered a traitor to his own people. Um, not only was he collecting taxes, but if you, you've heard this before, I'm sure, the tax collectors always collected a little bit more than what was owed, or maybe a lot more than what was owed, and they kept the extra for themselves. That was a perfectly legal thing to do. So Levi is working, if you will, for the enemy. And his people, his family, would have disassociated from him. It would have been a shameful thing. He would have lost family friends. They would have gained a lot of money in the process, a lot of wealth in the process. That was something that was probably hard to walk away from in any other circumstance. After all, for Levi... It was worth it to lose his community, his friends, his countrymen, his family, to get this extra money. It must have been hard. But Jesus said simply, follow me. And it says in verse 28, and leaving everything, he rose up and followed him. So Levi gets up. He leaves his tax booth, his livelihood, all that he knows in the world. And follows Jesus. That is what a new wineskin looks like. That's what a new wineskin looks like. People would have thought he was crazy, his fellow tax collectors. And the religious people thought Jesus was crazy for calling Matthew. But, but um, Levi, also known as Matthew, was a new wineskin. He was, he was ready to receive the new wine of God's work in his life. And he's destined to become the Matthew who wrote the first book in our New Testament, who would stretch and grow with Jesus for the rest of his life and to his death. Follow me. There was authority in those words. There was power in those words. I'm sure there was a deep knowing and a deep connection in those words as Jesus looked into his eyes and said, follow me. You know, rabbis like Christ, like Jesus, he was considered a rabbi in his day. They typically sought the very best and brightest people to be their students, to be their followers. But Jesus chose Levi, a sinner, known by society as being a sinner, someone who was sick. Again, aren't you glad that he came to call not the righteous but the sinners to repentance? 
Now he called. That's his mission statement, to seek and save the lost. It's awesome. It's good news for us. It says in verse 29, And then Levi made him a great feast in his house. Lots of money, a big house, lots of tax collector friends. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. Now Levi is clearly pretty wealthy. can throw a party, has a big house. He's excited about this new thing that he's doing, where Jesus said, follow me, and he started following him. And he throws a banquet for Jesus, in Jesus' honor, and invites all of his friends, who were mostly other tax collectors, and most certainly people considered to be sinners by everyone else in society. You've got to stick together when you're beaten down like that, right? So Levi just can't believe that this rabbi wants, this rabbi who also has a reputation for power and authority and all this stuff, wants anything to do with him. He wanted to share this amazing gift with other people in his circle. So he invites his friends. And this is a huge theme in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus touches somebody, and then she goes and brings everyone she knows to Jesus. Now this is the call, this is the most effective way to ch- share Christ with people. You know, come see what God has done. Come, come meet this man that knows everything about me. Come meet Jesus. And that's what Levi did. It's really a beautiful thing. As usual, the teachers of the law and Pharisees hanging out in the doorway. They've kind of been shut down when Jesus gave his mission statement. And they decide to go to some theological questioning of him, which is the kind of their, um, their realm, if you will. And Jesus says, or the Pharisees say, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors? Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a doctor, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Now, if you think about it, what Jesus is really saying to these Pharisees is, if you think you are so righteous that you don't really have a need for me, then I'm not going to come and meet you in this place. If you think that you are healthy and everyone else is sick, I'm not going to be able to meet you. Their own scriptures, Isaiah 64, 6 says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and the wind. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Now that's the reality of, of what we bring to the table. None of us is, is truly righteous. You know, everyone needs Jesus. But if you are so righteous in your own eyes, so very right in your own eyes, so proud of yourself and your place in life, then you no longer have a need for Jesus. And Jesus does not come and meet that person. Jesus is the great physician who came to heal the sickness in the human heart. He came to seek and save the lost. He's come for sick people who know they are sick. And and Jesus cannot treat those who believe they are well and refusing to be treated or signing themselves out of the hospital too early. Um, All of us, whether we're following in our own ways of sin or walking in what we consider to be a righteous way, all of us are actually quite sick in reality, which is why we need Jesus continually. And Jesus has come for people like Levi and his friends. You now, if we, if we really realize that our righteousness is like filthy rags, if we've come to acknowledge our sinfulness, if we're humble enough to acknowledge what a mess we are, 
then Jesus has come for us. That's the good news. Jesus has come for people that realize that stuff. Not to beat them down or condemn them, but to save them. To save them. That if we have pride in our hearts, like the scribes and Pharisees, thinking that we are more righteous than other people around us, then Jesus has not come for us. That's, there's no way to meet Jesus with that mindset. So what's the calling on you and me? To continually humble ourselves before Jesus. To, like Levi, in a very beautiful way, hear Jesus say, follow me. To let go of the things we've known and held on to. Realizing we're no better, no smarter, more righteous than anyone else. We need what Jesus acquired for us on the cross. We need reconciliation with God through his sacrifice on the cross. We need Jesus teaching us how to live our lives. We need to, we need to humbly obey Jesus' instructions and walk in obedience to his word. So if you know that you, if you know your need for Jesus in your heart, the good news is he's come for you. He will meet you every time when you acknowledge your need. He will meet you every time. He is drawn to humility in people. So then the theological question begins. The Pharisees begin to quiz Jesus on theology. Um, in the verse 33 it says, And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is, is with them? You know, Jesus is, is the promised bridegroom of God. And now he's sitting and eating with the very people he came to seek and save, filling them with hope, looking at them with love, inviting them to the banquet, this banquet that Levi threw for him. He's with them. You know, he's with the people. Mission, mission statement and, and, and mission come together. Jesus' deepest mission. He's doing it. It's a party. And Jesus says to them, yeah, fasting is well and good, but does it make sense to fast and grieve and mourn and wail at a wedding reception? And this is the time to party when I'm, I'm with my people. The guests do not mourn when the bridegroom is with them. In this case, this would be the tax collectors and sinners. Because he's with them. It's awesome. He says in verse 35, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Jesus gives these, these sort of solemn hints throughout the gospel stories. He knows his ultimate mission is to seek and save the lost by going to the cross and dying for our sins. So he's saying, yes, there will be a day in the future when I will be taken from them, and they will fast in those days. Now his plan is to willingly lay down his life on that cross, make a way for people to be reconciled to God, to forgive their sins. And when Jesus is taken and crucified, that will be the time for sadness and fasting. But now he's with his people, so it's a party. It's a party. And so the, the scribes and Pharisees are quizzing Jesus about these religious practices. Um, they, they say, you know, John's disciples and our disciples, they fast two or three times a week. Why don't your disciples do that? It's important to note that Jesus is not breaking a law of God by not fasting two or three times a week. Those were actually made-up rules that were put around um, some of the encouragements from Scripture to fast and made to be rigid religious practices that people did to great pain in order to draw near to God. That was what, 
fasting was meant to do for them. And Jesus is not sinning or leading his disciples to sin by not fasting at this time. It's not an accusation that really lands at all. Jesus says, can you make these guests fast while I'm with them? No. It's a party. Another uh, passage just a little bit later in in, uh, Luke 6, Jesus is accused of breaking the Sabbath, not once, but twice, by the Pharisees who are following him around, trying to entrap him. First, his disciples are walking through a cornfield, and they're eating, um, they're, they're milling the, 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 the grain with their hands and, and blowing away the chaff and eating grain on the Sabbath in the cornfield. Uh, that, that's one time when the Pharisees popped up out of the corn plants, apparently, and they said, it's not lawful for your disciples to work on the Sabbath. See, they're working. They're milling that grain with their hands. This is the kind of people that the Pharisees were. Inflexible, rigid, um, just desiring to destroy the work of Jesus. Was Jesus breaking the Sabbath by his disciples doing this with their hands and making grain to eat? No. There was actually laws in the Old Testament that allowed for poor people like Jesus and his disciples to go through fields, and the people that owned the fields were commanded not to cut, harvest all of the grain, but to leave some for the poor. And those poor people were welcome to go through that field and eat what they needed. It's not a harvest. It's eating to survive. So Jesus says, not only that, but have you read the story about David, your great king, who went to the temple and he ate the bread that only the priests were allowed to eat? Are you mad at David too? He shuts him down. But again, it's it's this accusation that comes to Jesus that he's breaking the law and leading other people to break the law. And it actually wasn't even true. It wasn't even really true. In fact, scripturally, you could say Jesus had the right to do the things that he did. The second time that he got accused of breaking the Sabbath was healing a man with a withered hand. This poor man comes before Jesus. He tells, for some reason, his hand is broken, and Jesus tells him to stretch out his hand, and it's healed miraculously. And the Pharisees are like, ha, see? You healed on the Sabbath, you worked on the Sabbath, you're done. They're not excited about a miracle. They're inflexible, rigid, angry people. Um, this This is bad. This is why... The wine, the wine that Jesus wants to pour cannot properly ferment and grow in these, in these particular people. You know, they needed to leave their religiousness behind, receive the new wine of Jesus, and then be flexible and grow with it. You know, likewise, if Matthew had, if Levi, his tax booth, had said to Jesus, um, uh, I'll think about it, he would have missed out. He needed to let go as well. He needed to let go of his sin and of his career. But as for the Pharisees, you know, accusing Jesus of being a lawbreaker because he didn't fast enough, because he didn't, because he did miracles on the Sabbath, because he ate to survive on the Sabbath, they're missing out. So he tells them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on the old garment. If he does, it will tear the new. The piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. So, you know, in two two different ways, Jesus is saying, the old that you're holding on to and the new I'm trying to give you do not mix. You can't properly repair a hole in an old garment with new fabric. You cannot 
pour new wine into old wineskins, it's not going to work. It's going to destroy everything. You know, the Pharisees, Jesus is saying in a very veiled way, but not so veiled really, that the Pharisees could not receive his teachings or even himself because their practices were too narrow and too rigid. And they considered themselves to already be righteous. They didn't see a need for Jesus' death on the cross or his teachings. In fact, they were trying to kill him. That's why they were following him around. And it's for that reason and that reason only that Jesus did not come for them. If they were lost, if they, they were declaring that they were sick and needing a doctor, Jesus would have come for them. But because they refused and went in the other direction, Jesus did not come for them. They would not let go. But Jesus did come for Levi. He let go. He let go of everything. He walked away from his tax booth in the middle of the workday. So the old life, whether it be a life of sin and extortion like Levi and his friends, or a highly religious life like scribes and Pharisees, also a prideful and sinful way to think, that old life must be left behind when choosing to follow Jesus, or it won't work. So for those who will not let go of their sin, they're, they're going to miss out. For those who will not let go of their pride, religious or otherwise, they are going to miss out because Jesus' mission is to seek and save the lost, to heal the sick. And to, to be saved and healed, you have to acknowledge the truth that even your good deeds are like filthy rags. You know, we, can't, we have to let go of things to follow Jesus. And then in verse 38, he ends his parable with this statement. But new, new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one after drinking the old wine desires the new. For he says, the old is good. And we have to be careful how we listen to the story of Jesus presented here. The new wine and the old wineskins do not mix. The new patch and the old garment do not mix. We have to be careful not to mix the new that Jesus is trying to give us with the old. Or we'll miss out. The only real response we can give to Jesus, the just one move that we sang about in our song earlier, his arms stretched wide and surrendered to him. Like what Levi did when he got up and walked from his tax booth and following Jesus. Jesus came for people that were willing to leave all behind and receive the new thing he was doing. It says, it says in, that, in that passage, no one after drinking the old wine desires the new. For they say, the old is good. You know, the Pharisees loved the old wine. They loved it. They loved the old wine of God's law. And the other laws and rules they put in place around God's law. They loved their status. They loved their wealth. They loved the respect of the people. You know, the old wine tasted pretty darn good to them. When Jesus comes along pointing out to them that their righteousness isn't what God is looking for, you know, they're offended. And Jesus didn't come for them because they would not leave behind and let go of the old wine and follow him. But Levi, you know, when Jesus called to him, Levi took it to heart. He was poor. He was poor in community, poor in spirit. He heard the authority of God. He, he recognized that God was looking at him with love. And that was enough for Levi to get up and abandon his post and follow Jesus. You know, to him, the new wine tasted so good. So good that he threw a banquet to tell all of his friends about it. Jesus is saying to the scribes and the Pharisees, you still love the old ways, but I'm telling you something new is happening, and you're going to miss it if you will not let go. Let go. So 
So what's Jesus saying to you and to me this morning through this? I believe he's saying that if you want the new life that he's coming to bring you, we're going to have to let go of our old ways and be open to learning some new things from Jesus. Let go of our old ways and be open to learning new things from Jesus. I often hear when, um, when people talk about the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, talks about love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, these kinds of things. This is new wine teaching. And a lot of people, they think, well, this is just figurative language. This can't be literal. Is it really possible to do this? Yes, it's new wine teaching. But you must let go of the old stuff to get the new teaching. Maybe you've always learned the idea of eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. If you're good to me, I'll be good to you. If you hurt me, I'll hurt you. And Jesus says, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who curse you. And that's a new thing. That's a good thing. If you want to hold on to the old way, you won't be able to accept the new way that Jesus is bringing us. Some of us, some people just want a little bit of Jesus that they can call upon when they're in trouble. But here Jesus is saying, I've come to make you into a new person altogether. 2 Corinthians 5.17, very famous passage, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. You know, the new wine changes everything about you. That word is literally the word for metamorphosis in that passage of a, of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. We're, we, we need to have this attitude, like Jesus said, of the little children. Remember when he, he did the parable of him holding the child and saying, unless you change and become like this child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. We need to learn to live in this new kingdom of Christ from the ground up, letting go of what's behind us, trusting in Jesus. And I think that if we're willing to let go, then we can learn from Christ. But we hold on to, to things with, with such a death grip, you know, and we hold on and Jesus says, let go. And, and over and over again, we hear Jesus saying to us, let go, let go. And we hold on so tight to things. You know, last fall, the big verse we, I was preaching on was Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 from Gentle and Lowly, um, where Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, and I will give you rest. You must take the old yoke off, the old thinking, the old teachings, the old ways of living, the old beliefs, present ourselves before Jesus, and take on his teachings, his way to follow him. Now we all have to leave everything behind to follow Jesus. So the worship team is going to come forward. We're going to sing the song about the goodness of God. And uh, I want to ask that the Holy Spirit would reveal to you what is it that you could be holding on to that represents the old wineskin in your life? Now, is it a certain sin that you won't let go of where Jesus asks you again and again and again, 
let go. Let go and follow me. You just can't do it. This morning, if you, will, if you will let go of that sin, I believe Jesus has come for you. And just like with Levi, he's, he's gazing at you, saying, come, follow me, drop that. It's weighing you down. It's, it's so easily entangled you. It's so heavy. Drop that. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Or maybe some, there's, there's some form of prideful self-righteousness that makes you think you're better than other people. Maybe you have that. Uh, it's really easy to fall into that, and it's really easy to, um, to let that consume you very easily. To think you're better than other Christians, hear God better, do things better. Um, it's a pride of place and a pride of heart that keeps the work of God from coming into your life. And Jesus' word to us in that is that the old and the new cannot mix. You've got to let go of that pride. You've got to let go of that, that, um, that false righteousness. And just realize that you need me. Come to me. Cling to me. And I will give you life. So the invitation of Christ is, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Let's come before the Lord in prayer together.